If you're an established woman in tech who is creating results and making an impact at work, so your workload and stress just keep growing, but promotions and salary bumps remain a distant dream, it's time for a change. Listen, we all know the tech industry has dramatically changed. It's time your career approach did too. You don't need cookie cutter programs or dusty advice from outdated playbooks because What works for tech bros won't work for you. You need individualized, bespoke support to build your brave career. One that reflects who you are as a woman in tech. I invite you to explore career coaching with me. Get all the details, including prices and client results at tricksteinbach.com. You can stress less work less, and earn more. You've already earned it. Let's make it happen. Welcome to the Celebrate Brave podcast, a podcast for women in and around the tech industry. Every week, we dive into the conversations, frameworks, and best practices to help you stress less, work less, and earn a lot more. My name is Nicole Church-Steinbach, your host and the international bravery coach for women in tech. Let's go. Welcome, dear woman in tech, to this episode of the Celebrate Brave podcast. You are in for a treat. We have a guest today. Her name is Ginny Walters. And she is a brand new woman in tech. She's a part of EdTech. She's a strategic leader supporting US-based institutions, utilizing software. And Ginny is a client. We've been working together for a little while. Hey, girl, welcome. Hi, I'm super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited for people to experience your calm but still super fun energy. So this is exciting. (laughs) I'm also really excited because, you know, one of the things that you and I have talked a lot about is just the massive transformation in the U.S. market right now when it comes for people that have been in academia or in education, teaching, administration, and the deep, deep level of skills educators have that the tech industry frequently underestimates. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that I'm super excited to talk to you about. And I think that creates a bridge. So what is your brave story that you wanted to share with us? So my brave story that I would like to share is I had really started looking around in 2019 for what could I do that would be different. I have worked in higher education really since 2010, and I had been at my current employer since 2013. And so I was kind of getting the itch to do something different. And so I started to just look around. And and by look around, I mean 
I would just go on LinkedIn and look at different job postings and just kind of get a sense for what could I do. And very quickly, I was shocked at all of the different things that I could do. (laughs) (laughs) And I think at the time I applied for a couple of jobs, but it, it wasn't very strategic not to not to use a pun with my current title but it was not very strategic <laughs> and then the pandemic happened and i basically was just glad to have a job and so i stopped really kind of looking around um and for everybody who works in education in any form you know the last couple of years have really been about surviving and not thriving. And so my focus in early 2020 just became on essentially maintaining my status quo as a as a professional and really more so personally, right? My spouse also works in education, so um we were we were both kind of living in this okay, let's just let's, let's just survive <laughs> yeah. for for a while. And then uh, last year, my mom became very sick. And this is really, I feel like, where the brave piece of my story starts. Because I had been conditioned, as I think most women are, to really separate the personal and the professional to, you know, come to work and, you know, what happened before work does not impact, you know, what happens outside of work, you leave it at the door. I think I had been conditioned that way, just not by a particular individual, but just society in general. And what I realized last year was that that doesn't work. And what was happening in my personal life deeply affected my professional life and caused me to reevaluate not just the kind of job that I wanted to have, but the kind of life that I wanted to live. Um, And we talked about that a lot in, in our sessions. And I think, um, I think I knew that, but you really helped me articulate it. I enjoyed working remotely. I had a long commute when I worked on campus. And so regaining two and a half hours of my day, uh, was really, my mind blows (laughs) my mind two and a half hours. Yeah. was really uh, impactful for me mm-hmm. during the pandemic. I started to write again. I was able to work in an office with a window. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which I had joked about for a long time, but actually it turns out all of the research is true. And mm-hmm. <laughs> it does increase my creativity and my productivity and my energy levels throughout the day. I enjoyed taking a break and reading a book on my porch. Yes. Um, and when my mom got sick, I 
I was fortunate enough to have supportive colleagues and a supportive supervisor who allowed me to take a lot of time off. I live in Minnesota. My mm-hmm. uh, parents were in Ohio. So I traveled there once a month to visit my mom. And that is not always common. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very uncommon, especially in education. But I was able to do it. But it was really stressful. I was still missing my classes. I could not work remotely. I became very aware of the aspects of my work environment that no longer suited me. It wasn't necessarily about the job Mm -hmm. I was doing. It was about the environment that I was working in. The idea that I had to get up at five o'clock every morning in order to leave my house by seven. Then I had to commute. Then I had to walk to my office. Then I had to sit in an office that I did not get to decorate with no window. No window. No window. I'm still angry about no this. Window. Like I have such strong emotions about your lack of a window. And God, I mean, granted, sorry. there were other things. You know, it wasn't like I sat at my desk all day. I was doing other things, but I still had to be in a place from 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. And then at 4.30, I left the place. I walked to my car. I drove home. And then I still had to do all of the stuff at home, right? I still had to come home and make dinner and do all of the... And I don't even have children. (laughs) So yeah, that kind of work environment no Mm. longer suited me. I wanted to be able to have quiet mornings where I could sit and think and write in my journal. I wanted to have more energy in the evenings to spend time with my spouse and to meet my friends for dinner. I started to come to all of these realizations last year while my mom was sick. Then my mom died in November. And I thought, okay, okay. What's important? What's not important? How do I want to live my life? I was 32 when my mom died, which is pretty young to lose a parent. I'm an only child. I'm very close to both of my parents. And I thought, okay, we're going to live differently. My mom was a teacher. She taught for 40 years. She retired the year before the pandemic and she never got to really enjoy a retirement. And I thought, we're not going to wait for retirement to enjoy the life that we have. We're going to enjoy it now while still, you know, planning to enjoy it later. But my outlook on my life and how my professional affected my personal life and how my personal life affected my professional life completely shifted. And so I feel like that is probably the best way to encapsulate my brave story. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that has been so 
impressive for me is that this is your first year of mourning and you have been willing to feel all the feels. I am a fairly naturally reflective person. Mm-hmm. I do enjoy quiet and contemplation and I tend to enjoy solitary <laughs> activities. Uh, my hobbies are things like reading and running and things that uh, a person typically does by themselves. Um, so I do think that there's a little bit of a, a natural tendency toward that kind of introspective thinking. But I was really bad at feeling my feelings in my 20s. I was not good at it. I was your typical high achieving, high performer. I just, you know, Mm -hmm. we don't have time to feel the feelings. That's not efficient. (laughs) And I think my mom getting sick and also the pandemic, you know, has has Mm -hmm. changed how I view feelings and how I feel Mm -hmm. feelings. And, you know, also coaching has helped me do that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I actually went back because your emotional journey has just been really remarkable and we still have time together. Mm-hmm. You've accomplished this major shift and quite a short period of time, right? With a nice pay increase and you reduce that damn commute <laughs> and you have a window, which I'm very proud of. <laughs> No window, what the hell? Um, so I went back to my notes from our consultation. So I wrote down feelings and then a question mark. And then I put in quotation marks behind it, shit. And when I saw that, I remembered that I was like, well, you know, like how are how are you how are you doing with your feelings, right? And you were like, oh shit. That sounds right. <laughs> But, you know, looking for another role and taking a transformation leads to lots of feelings and you've been deeply willing to experience them, to go into them. And I think that that has, I know, I know for truth that that's been a part of your incredible brave story as you shared. And I just want to underline it. And then the other thing that I really want to nail down for our listeners is you became ever more clear that it wasn't about a salary or a commute or a title. It was about the life you want to lead from who you were reaching out to for interest interviews, who the customer of your new employee should be and what the new employer's impact should be. You were very clear on that all the way down to the paint color in your office. You've been so intentional about the life that you are crafting. It's interesting because, so we're recording this during the first week of my new role. And we talk a lot at my new company about mission-driven, which I think you hear a lot all the time, but it it has a different sort of flavor in the education sector. And typically, mission-driven 
can be used as a scapegoat for lower salary or Mm. being exhausted or experiencing compassion fatigue. And what I feel like I have done and in a sense, what my new company has done is taken that concept back and said, we're going to mission drive our life. I think I started to become very clear about that's fine. And I still very, very, very strongly believe in the mission of education. If I didn't, I wouldn't have stayed in that sector. I I very strongly believe in it. And this was something that you and I talked about a lot because I did look at things outside of education for a while. Mm -hmm. What I don't necessarily believe is effective or helpful for me is allowing the mission of my work to creep into and become the mission of my life. And that was different for me. And I think is different and very difficult for a lot of people who work in education because we're told that the mission of your work is the mission of your life. And your life goal is to, you know, fall upon the sword of compassion fatigue and you have chosen a path where that is expected of you. And we don't have to live like that. No. Some people choose to. My mother chose to. And absolutely loved it. Went to work every day and absolutely Mm -hmm. loved her job. Would never have changed it for the world. But that's not me. And Mm -hmm. I don't want it to become me. So I feel like I am living a life now that is driven by my personal mission. Not the mission of my employer or my job. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is not necessarily true for you. In fact, I don't think this is true for you. I don't know. We'll look back in a I'll few I'll tell months, you. But <laughs> I don't think that right now. Um, and, you know, I did not set out to coach people from an industry into tech that really started with Ashley. Ashley was the first person who reached mm-hmm. out. And I was a bit trepidatious about and Ashley has an earlier podcast for anyone. It's the first podcast for season three. Go listen and to it. And I was it. a little it's bit trepidatious. <laughs> it is amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. But I also knew that I could help her because I could see personality attributes and skills that would absolutely fit inside of tech. She had already touched tech and things like that. But since starting to work with her, quite a number of people like yourself have come. A lot of people from these quote unquote helping organizations or helping industries. And they, by the way, y'all, their sectors and their industries, they are making banging profit. So anybody who's like, oh, I can't get paid more because nah, nah, look at the profit. Anywho, but one of the things that has really hit me. And I sometimes even need to like catch myself before I say it out loud is it's a screwed up set of expectations. It is truly toxic, gaslighting, and abusive in many ways. You know, recently someone told me that they had a 24-hour email response period and it blew my mind. I've never heard of anything like that. And so as 
you know, as I'm having more conversations and I'm having clients who are coming into tech, landing their new jobs, I'm often hearing it's shocking. I work one fourth of what I used to. I make twice what I used to. And I have hobbies and I go out with my friends to your point earlier, right? Like your situation is is a bit different you for lots of reasons that you've already shared. But it's shocking to me how really crappy behavior and expectations, really toxic expectations have been normalized. So people come into tech, which has a reputation for like just being – exhausted by your career and always working and being on a plane and it's ones and zeros and everybody's yelling at each other and swearing at each other, which I'm not saying is not true. Okay. Like (laughs) not saying it's not true, the yelling and the swearing part, but, (laughs) but we're making bank (laughs) while we're doing it. We're making bank. We have time off. We properly take time off. And the expectations seem to be more humane. So it's really beautiful to hear you sharing this. Yeah, there have been some instances during onboarding where you can tell the the people who are, even in a virtual environment, the people who are on Zoom who are coming from similar sectors, we're all just kind of looking at each other going, is this for real? <laughs> really? Like I, oh, I don't have to ask for this or this or, oh, this isn't an autonomous, independent working environment of grown adults. This is very exciting. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And you create that to your point about how you've created the life that you want. You create that. Because I also have clients and and I also went through my career where I was like, may I please take holiday? And then it's like, wait a second, one moment. I create my reality. But quick shift. Yeah. I think we have some really good breadcrumbs about who you'd like to share as your brave role model. Oh, sure. Easy answer. But I would love, yeah. Easy answer. It is my mom. As cliche as that might be. And I think it would have been my mom even before the last year. My mom was, I'll try to keep this relatively short. My mom graduated from high school in the late 1960s, and she went to college, and she became a teacher, and while she was a teacher, she decided that she wanted to become an attorney, and so my mom taught during the day, and she went to law school at night. After she died, we found some law things hidden away. I can't remember exactly how many people graduated in her class, but there were like 10 women. She was one of them. She actually, my dad told me this story after she died, and I never knew this. She quit law school after her first year, which I don't know enough about the law profession to know if this is still true today, but at that time, you couldn't quit and just go back. You had to petition to return. And so she had to, she quit because it was too hard. And then she decided that she wanted to finish. And so she went back and she finished and she practiced law Mm -hmm. for six years. And then she got married and then she had a, a child, which is me. And then she decided that she wanted to go back to teaching. It was just a little too 
too difficult to be an attorney at that time and, and have a, a child. So she stayed home with me for a couple years and then she worked and she was a working mom. I grew up watching, watching my mom work. And I have many memories of doing my homework at the kitchen table while my mom graded papers. And those are some of the sweetest memories that I have of my mom. One of my favorite days of the summer was helping mom set up her classroom for the fall and going out for a chocolate milkshake afterwards because I did such a good job with the laminator. Um, <laughs> and, um, and my mom was great. And my mom always, always defied the expectations that were set of her. When teachers started to dress more casually and there started to be things like, you know, casual Fridays and things like that, my mom never liked it. She dressed extremely professionally every single day. She mm-hmm. felt that that was what she wanted to do. And regardless of the expectations that were set upon her, she lived her life the way she wanted to live it. So I, I am trying to keep doing that. I miss her every day. I see her all the time, and the goal is for her to keep being proud of me. So far, I feel like I'm doing a pretty good job. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Obviously, I never had the deep pleasure and honor to meet your mom, but one of the gifts that she seems to have given you is to do what's right for you without judging other people for doing what's right for them. Yes. Yeah. And she was very good That's at something that. something that makes you. And so are you. Thank you. I try. I had yeah. a good model. Yeah, you are one Thank as you. well. Oh, Ginny, congratulations on joining us as a woman in Thank tech. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> it has really been a joy to coach you and to share swap books and swap running <laughs> plans and swap stories of Ohio. We have so much in common. Everybody follow, connect with Ginny on LinkedIn, right? Yes. Yes. LinkedIn is going to be the best place. Excellent. And is there anything you want to leave us with? I think the last thing, I feel like I should have a pearl of wisdom. I think if there was one thing that I would say to people, it's just Think about what you want your mission to be and then figure out how you can create a life around that mission. And don't let anybody else tell you what the answer to that should be. As always, the best for last. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you Thank very, Thank you, very much. Nicole. Mm. Thanks, everybody. Till next time. Bye. Bye. Hey. Before you go, our fellow women in tech really need these insights. So do them a favor, pop on over and leave a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. Help them find the Celebrate Brave podcast. All right. Thanks a bunch. Until next time, brave it up.